morning. Oh man, that's good worship. Thank you, Warner and band and Jennifer. That last song was amazing. Not that the rest weren't good, Warner, but just you know, saying it was good. Um, so Jesus changes everything. That's that's. Uh, Paul, we're going to be in chapter 5 of Galatians, and, and he's going to change how we view freedom. And I think that's, as I, as I wrote this this week, and rewrote it last night, <laughs> like that is what he's talking about. In, in, in all of Galatians, um, it's, a, it's a declaration of the freedom that we have in Christ. And last week we talked about what, what it was to be sons and daughters, heirs instead of slaves. And, and so he started to touch on this, what does this freedom look like? And this morning what he's going to do is he's actually going to dissect that. And, he's gonna, he's, and, and, that's, and that's what I want us all to walk away with here is I think that we're going to look at what we think of freedom differently. That's my prayer. That's what I hope, because that's what Paul writes here, and this is why God preserved this word for us, to teach us, to instruct us, to refine us, to change us every day, again and again and again, to be conformed into the image of his son for his glory. That, like, that's why we live. So let me start by praying. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to open your word. And God, that's our prayer this morning, is that you would change us. We don't presume to know that we've got it right, or that what we think in our minds to be true and accurate is often covered and shrouded in sin. And God, we just ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would be here would break through in each of our hearts and reveal to us what freedom looks like in you. And that's our prayer this morning, Father. It's in your Son we pray. Amen. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul starts off and he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And we, we read through that word yoke often, but, I mean, this is like an agricultural term, right? None of you have ever worn a yoke physically, I hope. I mean, it's like a piece of wood that steers you and drives where you go. Somebody is telling you where to go and pushing you around. And, and what he's saying is, I don't want you to become again into slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So why did Christ set us free? For freedom. Like, there is a value in us being free, as in us not being in bondage to sin. And I think what we're going to find this morning is that as Paul dissects what this freedom actually looks like, I think what we're going to see is that our understanding of freedom is just wrong. We put American freedom over it, and we go, oh, well, that's freedom. We put 
all sorts of other things, and we'll get into it as we go through, but we put all these other things, and we go, this is what we think freedom is. Freedom is nobody telling me what to do. <laughs> How about that one, kids? <laughs> right? Like, none of us want to have a boss. We all want to be a boss. And so when we try to understand what freedom is, what Scripture tells us, when we, when we put the Word of God over us and it directs our hearts and our minds, what we're going to find is that freedom is entirely different. So read with me in verse 2 through 4. Paul says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So what he does is he takes this hard line and he's like, no, you don't understand. Like, like you have to pick. And we talked about this last week, right? Like you can't have both of these things. You either accept the gift of grace or you try to pay for it. And that's what we're doing. God gives us grace, and we're like, how much, how, much, how much do you need for that? And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. It's free, or else it's not grace. We go, right. So 50% off? What's the, how much? How much do I have to work? How much do I have to do? What do it can't be free. But it is. And in fact, it has to be free in order for it to be grace, in order for it to actually rescue us. He says, if you're trying to be justified by the law, he goes, that's great. Just don't mess up. You'll be fine. And what we're going to see is that Christ did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. Remember we talked about that the law is God's measure of holiness. Like that, that is still God's measure of holiness. How you get to that, that's the question. How you receive salvation, that's the question. Do you receive salvation because you're trying to be justified by the law? Because you're trying to be a good person, because you're trying to do the right things? Or are you justified because God called you and is going to glorify you like he says in Romans? So look at verse 5. He says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only, if you got your pencil open, or your Bible open, you got a pencil or a pen, circle only, only faith working through love matters. That's what he's saying. It's the only thing that matters. See, and if you look at that, dissect that as we go through verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, right? When we trust in Christ, what does he do? He gives us his Holy Spirit. That's why we now have the Spirit. And what do we do? We hope for righteousness. We hope for it. And what is faith? Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, right? We hope for righteousness. We don't work for righteousness. We don't have to earn righteousness. We sit here with the Holy Spirit doing the work in us. And that is Warner's prayer and my prayer that we've prayed this morning that like this is what we want the Holy Spirit to do. 
And we should all be in that same place where we go, change me. Change my heart. Make me more like your son. And so we have this hope for righteousness. And if you've, you, you circle that only faith working through love. We're going to spend most of our time this morning on verses 13 through 15. So I'm trying to get myself there. <laughs> but, but this is what he's talking about. He's saying faith working through love. What's the expression of our faith? It doesn't say church attendance. It doesn't say volunteerism. It doesn't say fervent worship or good deeds or biblical knowledge. It doesn't say those things. It says faith working through love. And so this morning, as we, as we start looking at this, what Paul is going to unpack for us is that the freedom that we find in Christ is love, is our newfound ability and empowering by the Holy Spirit to love others. So watch with me as we, as we walk through this. And, and, and we know this is true, right? Like we, we, we all know what love should be. Right? I mean, we contrast it with the love of the world, and we, and we I mean, what is different about our love? I mean, if, if faith works itself through love, then that means that love is produced through faith. So what of the world's love? If they don't have faith in Christ, is their love different? Look at 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but, not, but have not love, I gain nothing. People die for a lot of reasons. People sacrifice their lives for a lot of reasons. But what Christ calls us to here is a freedom to love in a way that only faith can produce in us. And that's what he's going to dissect as we walk through this. And, and, and it's this love that Paul continues to go back to. Remember, he's writing a letter to people that he knew, right? Like, he's, this is a man writing a letter that God then inspires every word that he writes and preserves it for 2,000 years for us to read and to edify and to correct and rebuke each other and to glorify God. And so what he says here in, in verses 7 through 12 is, Paul's emotional. He loves these people. He says, you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling, troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. 
I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I can get into too much detail there, but he's passionate. He's passionate for them. He has a love for the Galatian church. He loves them. He loves them deeply. He's passionate. And so passionate, he's got this righteous indignation for those who are being pushed aside, who, those who are being swayed and moved by every wind of doctrine and teaching. And he's going, no, no, that's not right. And it brings us to Paul's summary here in verses 13 through 15 are where he's going to completely change our understanding of freedom. In verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. We're just going to stop there. And that's brothers and sisters, okay? You were called to freedom. What is he trying to show there? First, you didn't do anything. You were called. You were sitting around, and God called you. However he called you. And we all have different stories of, of how God has intervened in our lives. And maybe it's that first calling, right? Like, maybe, maybe that's the big one in our lives. Maybe it's where we kind of just kind of grew up this way. And maybe I'm a little talking more to those who have grown up in the church. And, and you're like, I don't ever really not remember knowing Jesus. But then he, he calls you out of your sin at some point. He goes, no, 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 you see yourself. And all of a sudden you become readily aware of the sin in your life. He calls us. When I, um, when I was a kid, I, we used to go, um, we grew up in San Diego, used to go body surfing all the time, and, and we would be like all day at the beach. And I vividly remember, this is still a joke between my brother and I now, but um, like we would be out in the water where you can't hear your parents. <laughs> it's a great place. And, uh, and, and in particular on the West Coast, the, the waves are a lot louder, consistently louder. And so, you know, so my mom would like come to, like, it's time to go home. And she would call us. Well, that's easy. <laughs> Keep looking out. Don't look back. And that's what we would do, right? And, and we would take a wave and we're like, don't look at her, don't look at her, right? Oh, go back in, you know. And she's standing there like, are they ever going to turn around and look at me? Are they going to acknowledge my presence? <laughs> and eventually at some point, like I don't know what it was, right? Like our eyes would lock. It's like, ah, did you, your eyes locked. Why did you look at her? Now we got to go home. And then she's like, man, I think that's how we see God. I think we're out in the water and we're having a good time and we're catching waves and we're doing all the things that we want to do. And there's... Little fuddy daddy on the shore going, Come here. It's time to pay your dues. It's time for you to be a Christian. Isn't that how we see it? And we go, All right, I guess I'm a grown up now. Or, or I've got kids, so, you know, now I got to go to church because now's the right time. Or, all right, well, maybe after I go to college, and then after college, that'll be the right time. You know, I, I want to I wanna catch a few waves first. I want to have fun. And we think that's freedom. We think it's freedom. 
But God is calling us to real freedom. Now, my mom wasn't calling us to real freedom. She was calling us to go home. But God is calling us to real freedom. And what does he say? He gives us, this is actually the second command in all of Galatians. And it's the second part in verse 13. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. There you go. Opportunity for flesh, serving one another. What Paul says is that your freedom, you can go here, you can go here. And now, now let me just be really clear here, right? The freedom that, that he's kind of addressing here, right? This, this freedom that they've received is this freedom from the law. Right? Up until Paul is talking about this, they're thinking, oh, well, I've got the law, and I've got all these things that I've got to do. And he goes, okay, the law doesn't, you know, he's, he's, he's trying to explain them that Christ has fulfilled the law for them. And so the law is no longer the thing that's going to make them righteous. And so they have this sense of freedom. What do they do with it? And this is where Paul is, is saying, there is one option that, and some of your Bibles might say, indulge the flesh or pursue the flesh, an opportunity for the flesh. And he says, that freedom is going to put you right back into bondage. That's the slavery that Christ set you free from. It just looks a little different. See, and, and this is the problem because I don't think we're convinced of this. I don't think we are. I, I, I struggle with this. I think we all struggle with this. Because we go, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. <laughs> I mean, that's really the basic of it. I want to be able to, to do the things that I want to do when I want to do them. And so what, what does he mean here? And the, what does he mean here by flesh? The, the word here for flesh isn't like skin, it's not like a biological word. It's like your being, who you are, your self-interest. That's the word that he's using here. Do not give an opportunity for the flesh. Do not pursue your own self-interest. The things that are pleasing to you, the things that indulge you, because our hearts are deceitful above all things, right? And so what are the things that we're going to pursue? And this, is, and this is the battle that we face because this is why the church looks no different than the world. Because we've got this passport stamped, okay, going to heaven. All right, now can I go back to the water? And we go and we want to live and, and we try to figure out how, how do we balance both of these things and we think we can balance these things. And what Paul is saying is what you're doing is you're putting yourself back into bondage. That word opportunity is actually like a military staging ground. Like that's, that's like the point of the start of the battle. He goes, you want to play there? That's really the location you want to play. Like that's where the battle's going to start. 
That's where the forces are marshalling. And he goes, that's not the place that you should be. Now you're free to go there. But you're going to be back into bondage. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that, that God has put eternity into the hearts of men. And I don't know, it's kind of a weird Kind of a weird phrase. Like, what does that mean? I'll tell you what I think it means. I think we think that there's something bigger. I think, I think there's something in every person that goes, right? And whether that's looking for the fountain of youth, <laughs> you know what I mean, or, or whatever, right? There is a deep desire for us to have eternity, to prolong ourselves, whether that's pursuing a legacy, or, or whatever that looks like. And what it does is it create, and, and I, I, God created that in us intentionally so that what? We would long for him, the only one that possesses eternity. But what do we do with it? We take this longing, this emptiness, this hole in us, and we go and try to find all these different things to put into it. We've got this gaping chest wound and we're arguing about what, what color band-aid to put on it. And, and all the while it's a Christ-sized hole and, and God put it there just so that Christ can fill it and here we are trying to throw a bunch of different things in it. And it could be anything and this, it, he is not talking about just a debaucherous lifestyle. So don't think, you're like, well, I'm pretty good. I don't do anything horrible. It's not what he's talking about. I mean, that's certainly part of it, right? But how much, how often do we try to fill that emptiness in our lives with fun and activities and toys and sex and pornography? How often do we look and search for validation And what do we do there? We, we want validation. For whatever reason in our lives, we, we're longing for this. And so we try to, we, we grapple and we serve for, or, and we look for success and accolades and followers and likes. Or we, or we, we deeply want control over our lives. And so we want success and to be a boss and to be in control and we abuse and we do different things in order to be in control of our lives. Whatever that emptiness is in our lives, we grab these different things and we try to fill it, thinking that if I just, if I could just have a reputation and recognition, then that's all I need. And that's where God steps in and he goes, you're looking for the wrong things. That's not freedom. You can go around searching for all of these different things, but that is never going to give you the freedom that's putting you back into bondage to the very things that you're trying to escape from. Because eventually we know that they're worthless. Eventually we know that they run out. And then we just jump to the next one. 
And he says in the second part of that, instead of that, instead of pursuing these things that fill this emptiness, through love, serve one another. You can circle that, circle verse 6, and then you can tie a line. By the way, like you can't do that on a phone. I'm just throwing it out there. but I mean, maybe you can. I don't know. Um, he's saying faith working itself through love in verse 6. And he says, love serving others. Faith, love, serving others. Like, these are all connected. There is no way to live the Christian faith without loving and serving others. And so that's the difference. That's the difference in this freedom. He goes, in one freedom, you think this is freedom because you're serving your own self-interest. He goes, no, that's not freedom. Actually, the freedom is serving others. That's, what, that's, that's the change. Jesus changes everything. That's our heart change. Where we go, what I thought was freedom is not freedom at all. And you go, well, Jonathan, you're going to have to argue this one. <laughs> because I don't think serving others is free at all. And <laughs> therein lies the root of our sinful nature. Let's look at our Savior here. John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. I'm just going to stop there. What do you know? He, he knew who he was. We know who we are. We talked about it last week. We're children of God. We're heirs. He knows who he is. This changes how he responds and lives. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Some of us don't understand now. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet also, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, to include Judas. And put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is our creator, our God, who chooses to serve. And the washing of feet, don't, <laughs> that's not the point. The point is service, right? We, our, our culture is not a, a foot-washing culture anymore, right? It was different when you wore sandals in the desert. What he's saying is, you're not greater than me, are you? Are you? This is where we go to, right? We're like, well, I should be served. I shouldn't serve. And then we read this and we go, well, Jesus says specifically that what he is doing, we must do. We must serve we must love. In fact, 1 John 4, 7, that whoever loves knows God and is born of God. And if love, if faith produces this love that is unique, that is supernatural, that is not the same as the love of the world, it's because that love serves. That love gives. That love counts others more important than themselves. You know, when, when we love and serve each other, we're not talking about just the good, like, service, like, get that, get that out of your mind, right? It's not like coming in here on a work day. I mean, that, that, that certainly falls under the umbrella, but that's not it. It's how do we serve those around us? And this is not exclusive to Christians. You guys understand that, right? This is the world. How do we serve the world? especially when they don't deserve it. We love them. We see the stranglehold that sin has on their lives, and it creates in us not judgment, but mercy and empathy. We know that God has saved us. Amen. can save them. Amen. But we don't, we don't act that way. We judge. We go, I can't believe you're not here. I can't believe you don't see that. I can't believe you reacted that way. But that's not what this love does. This love sees the root of the problem as not some superficial attitude or thing. It's, it's sin. It, it, if you guys have read the book or watched the movie Wonder, most of them are just talking about it this morning, like there's this um, antagonist through the whole book. This kid, it's a jerk. And, and he's a jerk the whole book through. And then at the end, you find out, oh, he grew up and like his, his father was abusive and it was a horrible thing. And, and now all of a sudden, you're like, well, I feel a little guilty for judging him. You feel a little guilty for, for hating that kid, for what he was doing to that kid because... And see, our sin nature is so deep 
that the only escape is through Jesus Christ. And so when we look at these little things that happen in our lives and we're trying to serve other people, it's empathy. It's walking alongside of them and supporting them and encouraging them, sharing with them the way out, the rescue. Maybe we just need to say, how's that working for you? A little more often. Maybe we need to say that to each other. Because we're not immune. We do the same thing. We got our passport stamped because we're here. I mean, that's what we assume, right? I'm not trying to say that, right? Like, we, we feel like we've got our passport stamped, and so we're, we're good. I go to church. I do the right things. And, but this is, I mean, to Warner's point, I got to stop sending you my notes, Warner, so you don't talk to it. Uh, but, like, <laughs> I'm just joking. Actually, I think it was before service anyway. Um, this isn't a social club. It's not. It's not a social club for moral people or for people who want their kids to grow up around moral people. That's not what this is. It can't be what this is. Now look at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That self-interest. Real freedom. Creates in us a care and a concern for others. And let me just be really clear here. He says, he says, that the law is fulfilled in one word, love. Christ didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. How? Through love, through freedom, through setting us free in love, to care for one another. And so this isn't a, okay, well, give me the list of things I got to do to serve people. It's not a matter of what we do. It's what we've become God has changed us. The Holy Spirit has entered us. We now live differently. We see differently. We feel differently. We don't just look at other people as obstacles in our lives. We see their souls the same way that God sees their souls. And we have mercy and empathy and love that knows no limits. That's what God is always changing us into. It says, when we, when we behold God, we become more like him. We start doing the things he does. We start feeling his feelings. We hate sin. We love righteousness. This obedience in our lives doesn't get cast away. It's not, we don't, it's not that we don't want to come to shore. It's that we know that there's joy in obedience, profound joy. And this is what he's inviting us to. 
That's the faith. That's the trust. That he actually has more for us than we could ever generate in and of ourselves. And then verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He goes back to the other side of this. If you're using your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, this is the result. This is what happens. This is what we are seeing in our world right now, biting and devouring because everybody's pursuing their own self-interest. It's, it's masqueraded as love, but it's not. It's love for their own self-interest in whatever category, niche you're talking about. doesn't matter. Pick a group. If it's not for Christ, it's for self-interest. And so what do we get? We get get antagonizing, we get insults, we get rigidity of opinions and defensiveness. I mean, it's like a schoolyard in public. Why? And And it's leaking into our homes. It is. And it shouldn't be. Because our responsibility is to show love in service. You see, now what we have is that this isn't something that that we're like going out and doing. It's something that when we pour over scripture, when we gather together in worship and we're praying to God, guess what's happening? That, That emptiness that the world has in their heart, ours is filled with Christ, right? And so our hearts get filled up and they're overflowing with joy and contentment and love. We don't have to do anything. We just will because we have love overflowing in our hearts. We're not going out trying to do things. It's God that's doing them in us and through us. And the alternative is biting and devouring and the end state is consumption. That's not freedom. And I know we think, especially in America, you've got the freedom to know your own opinion. And you do. And you do. But we all have a sinful nature. We all have a world that we grew up in. We all have circumstances that have shaped and molded us in different ways and has caused us to respond to our present circumstances differently. And that's okay. What matters is that we serve and love one another. John 13, 35 says that we will be known as his disciples by the love that we have for one another. That's our testimony. We blend in with the culture We throw our stamp on our cars, our building, and we go, this is my social club. It's better than yours.
there is something that you have to do. You have to behold the glory of God. That's our responsibility. Dwell on him. And you will be changed. That's his promise. That's it. Don't, if you're making a list of people that you need to serve, throw it away. Because that's not it. You will. You will serve them. But it will be out of an overflow of love through the Holy Spirit changing your heart. Let me pray.